Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Do neat things and eat, but I wanted to recognize not only them for just a second, but the parents as well. So I'm going to ask our graduates again to stand, and any parents that are here as well, if you guys would stand. Let's look at the parents to stand as well. They're separated around. Thank you, guys. We, we understand that although the student does the work in the classroom, mom and dad are behind the scenes doing a lot of work, right? Yes, there you go. <laughs> Financially as well as, emo- as well as emotionally. So thank you, mom and dad, for all you've done. Congratulations to our students and to their families. And because today is graduation Sunday, we're going to step away from Genesis for a Sunday. And I want you to know we're going to get back jumping into that next week. I've enjoyed that study. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have all the Lord showing us. And I'm encouraged by what we're learning. But we're going to step away this morning because it's Graduate Sunday. And I want to spend a Sunday challenging not only our graduates, but all the people of this church by thinking, just for a minute, about the choices we make. I want to consider choice this morning. Now these students, as all of you probably are aware, are embarking upon a time of transition in their lives. Things are about to change for them. Where they live, where they go to school, the types of jobs they have, the the importance of the decisions that they make, all of those things now are in transition. This is going to be a time over the next several years, guys, and you probably already know this, but it's going to be a time when your faith is going to be challenged. You guys probably remember there was a time in probably the latter part of high school or at some point in college and early adulthood where your faith, now follow with me, moved from being your parents' faith and it became your faith. You remember those struggles? I do. I remember very clearly walking through that journey in my life and and, and making sure that this really was how I wanted to live my life. This really was what I believe. And so you're going to have some choices in the coming months and years. And we all understand that choice sometimes can be difficult. We make choices based on a lot of different variables, don't we? Some people make choices based on advice they get from other people. Maybe you get some good advice from somebody, you make a choice based on that advice. Maybe you get some bad advice and you make a choice based on some bad advice. But sometimes we just take the advice of others and and that's how we make our decisions. Sometimes we choose based on our emotions. We get excited about something and we let our emotions kind of drive the direction we want to go. And we want to make a decision based on how our emotions lead us. Others of us are a little more logical. Maybe you've done something like this. You've kind of drawn the tea table, pros and cons. Have you ever done that? And you list it out. All the good things about the decision you could possibly make. All the bad things about the decisions you could possibly make. And you weigh those options. What are the best things? What are the good things? What are the bad things? And so I want to think this morning about choice because I want you to hear me, graduates, and I want you to hear me, adults. There's no choice in your life that will impact you as much as the decision to follow Christ. And let me just take it a step farther because I'm going to step on some toes. Just because you've chosen to be saved doesn't mean you're necessarily living your life for Jesus. Okay? So I'm going to challenge you to go a step beyond just praying that prayer of salvation. I'm going to challenge you to think about living your entire life sold out for the things of Jesus Christ. 
What would that choice look like in your life? So take your Bibles, if you would, and open to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. If you've never had the chance to read through one of the Gospels, you should do it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you should pick one. If you've never read through any portion of Scripture, you you should read through one of the Gospels because the Gospels contain the story of Christ. Now Mark chapter 8 is a very interesting chapter in the Gospel of Mark for a couple different reasons. The first reason is because it's this very interesting change in the ministry of Christ. Let me explain kind of where Jesus has been up to this point. If you were to read the first several chapters of the book of Mark, you would see that Jesus has done some pretty amazing things. Jesus has fed 5,000 people. Jesus has walked upon the water. Jesus has caused people that couldn't hear to be able to hear. Jesus, at the beginning of Mark chapter 8, has fed 4,000 people. And so here's what happens. Jesus is doing these incredible miracles. And as Jesus does these miracles, more and more people choose to follow him. And so what begins to happen is these numbers of people, these crowds begin to grow. And the Bible tells us that he fed 5,000 men. That doesn't include the women. That doesn't include the children. Most scholars believe that was closer to 25 or 30,000 people. The more things Jesus did for these people, the larger the crowd grew. Now here's the point of application just for a second, okay? Students, I want you to hear me here. Adults, parents... If you're following Jesus because of what he can give to you, you're missing the truth of the gospel. If you're following him around because you feel like he can do these things for you and give you all these things, I think you're missing the truth of what the Word of God tells us. See, here's the way we view Jesus far too often. We see Jesus as this big genie in the sky. And we say to Jesus, you know what, Jesus, I need you to do some things for me. I need you to give me some things. And so here, here's how it looks. Right? You get in this bad situation, something goes wrong. You're in a place that you're not happy with. There's some, there's some terrible things that have happened. And so you pull out that, that little magic glass and you rub that bottle and you hope God pops up and gives you your three wishes. Lord, I need you to fix this at work. I need you to give me a better job. I need you to heal Aunt John, Aunt Sally, because she's sick, right? And there's nothing wrong with pray. We should pray those things. But God is not a genie in the sky. And so all these people are following Jesus in Mark chapter 8 because of all that he could do for them. Now watch this. This is, this is a, a line of demarcation in the sand, so to speak. At this point in the gospel, everything's about to change because all these people had followed Christ because what Christ could give to them. And then Jesus, all of a sudden, in the middle part of of Mark 8, says this, Hey, everybody, gather around. I want to tell you something. Listen up. All you thousands of people that I've fed and I've healed and I've done these miracles, you're following me for what you can get. Check this out. I'm about to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to allow myself to be arrested, tried in a court, beaten, Put on a cross and crucified. I'm about to die. And by the way, all you guys are coming with me. Who's in? Right? That's what Jesus says. And so there's this line in the sand and there's this stunned silence in these thousands and thousands of people. Because Jesus has said at this point, it's not about what I'm going to give you. It's about your desire to follow me regardless of what it costs you. And there is a difference. Christianity in America today, and I just bear with me and forgive me if I hurt your feelings. Christianity in America today has descended into this point oftentimes where we follow Christ for what he can give us. We're not willing to give him anything. It's not the teaching of Scripture. 
So we're going to see this morning what it really means to choose Christ. Look with me if you would in Mark chapter 8. We're going to read just a few verses this morning, delve into each one. We're going to read verse 34 to begin with. Mark chapter 8 verse 34. Then he, we're speaking of Christ, called the crowd. Now by the way, he didn't just say, hey, those of you that are serious about following me. All you super Christians out there, right? All you that are leaders and taught Sunday school for 50 years. All the No, he didn't say that. He calls everybody, the thousands of people that had surrounded him. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said, now here's the line in the sand. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now, here's truth number one I want you to get this morning. Graduates, I want you to see this. Parents, grandparents, I want you to understand this truth. Number one, we must choose to totally commit ourselves to Christ. We must choose to totally commit ourselves to Christ. Now, let me just tell you something you already know. It's going to be repeating the obvious, but I want you to hear me say it. Graduates especially, nobody's going to force you to follow Christ. Nobody is going to force you to follow Christ. I think that's a truth that a lot of us need to hear. I think it's a truth a lot of us need to understand because we have to, as we study Scripture and as we understand life, we've got to make this decision to follow Jesus. Now some of us, some of you made that choice to be totally committed to Christ at a young age and you've lived your life that way. Many others have kind of rocked along for a couple of decades and they got a little bit older and all of a sudden the Lord changed something in their mind or in their heart and they at that moment decided they wanted to radically follow Jesus. But there comes a a point in every person's life where they've got to choose either I'm going to follow the things of the Lord or I'm going to follow the things of the world. And guys, you guys in college next year, that choice is going to hit you in the face every moment of every day. Now we have a problem in our world. Because we live in a great society that's been blessed by so many different things, we have a lot of choices, don't we? Now, lots of the choices we have are insignificant. In fact, if you were to think through all the choices that you make every day, some of them don't matter in the grand scheme of things. For example, if you have cable television or satellite TV, I bet you've got several hundred channels to choose from, don't you? Whether or not you choose to watch channel 10 or channel 100 in the grand scheme of things doesn't really matter. It's not that big of a deal. When you go to the grocery store and you walk down the cereal aisle, now my family consumes lots of cereal, so I'm I'm real clear on this point. If you walk down the cereal aisle, you ever been to the cereal aisle in the store? Taller than you are, and it looks like it goes on for miles, just hundreds of boxes of cereal. I'll never forget when we were in Africa last year and we went to the big city, (laughs) I put that in quotes, to go to the nice grocery store. You walk in, there's like two choices of cereal. I say, well, honey, I guess this is what we're getting, right? This is the cereal we're eating for the next couple of weeks. There's no other choices. We have choices in America. Some of the choices are insignificant. But some of the choices actually matter. And here's the truth the graduates need to understand. You guys are going to see this as you go through life. As you walk through life, the choices you make matter more and more, don't they? The older you get, the more significant life choices become. And so these guys are in a point in their life when they're going to be starting to make choices. Some of them already have about whether or not to attend college. That's a big choice. If you decide you're going to go, what, child, what college am I going to go to? What am I going to major in? 
How am I going to live my life on campus in a few more years? Am I going to get married? Who am I going to marry? What's my life going to like? Those are big choices. So I want to give you what I believe is kind of this simple grid if you think about making decisions. If you think about making decisions in life for our students and even for our adults, you should run every decision through this matrix, through this grid, and it ought to look something like this. Here's the choice I'm going to make. Is the decision I'm about to make going to bring glory to the Lord? I should run it through that filter every time. It's what I'm about to do on campus or in class or in my dorm room or at work. Is the decision I'm about to make, if you can kind of get your wits about you in that moment, if you kind of think through what's about to happen, you ask yourself this question. And what, is what I'm about to do going to bring glory to the Lord? Is what I'm about to do going to honor Christ? Is he going to be pleased when I do whatever I think I'm about to do? Is he going to be pleased with this choice? Because what we see is that a life sold out for Jesus begins with this very simple choice to follow him. Now some of you are probably thinking, well, this is only speaking to the, to, to the super Christians, right? And we may define it like that. These are the only people that are really living. He's not talking to everybody. Well, just listen to what he does. Look again at verse 34. I alluded to this just a minute ago. The Bible says that he called the crowd to him. See that? See, here's, here's the truth we have to understand, students. Not everybody is going to make the choice to follow Christ. Sometimes we have to be strong in our faith in the face of great opposition. That's very easy, even as adults now, it's very easy to realize there are a lot of people around me and none of them are following Christ. I may as well not follow either. It's just easier. Go along to get along, blend in. Because the, the moment sometimes that we, we step out in faith, the, the moment that we decide we're going to follow Christ, we realize that not everybody's going to agree with us. And so sometimes it takes strength and faith in the midst of opposition if we're going to follow Christ. But Jesus gives us this strategy here. He says in verse 34, as he calls the crowd, right? If anybody's going to come after me, right? If you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, I believe with all my heart that it's at this point in Scripture, we have this disconnect with so many people in our life. This is, this is where the disconnect occurs. Because we would say in our minds and in our hearts, and we would probably have a desire to live for Christ. I want to follow Christ. I bet every person in here would say, absolutely, Adam. I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow his teaching. But the disconnect comes midway through the verse when he says, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. See, we want to follow Jesus until we're asked to pay a price. And then far too many believers, not sure about that, Lord. Can I just go on Sunday morning and then do what I want to during the week? Can I just pray a couple of minutes before bed and we call it even? Can I just rub that little lamp when things are going bad and call? Isn't that enough, Lord? I mean, really? Do I really have to do anything else? Well, Paul understands this very clearly. In fact, Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, I want you to listen to the words that he actually uses. Paul is a man who'd been through great tragedy in his life. If you don't know about the Apostle Paul, you should read about him. Shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, thrown in prison, eventually martyred, right? Killed for his faith. 
This is a man who had been there, done that, and I want you to listen to how he explains the idea of taking up the cross and following Christ. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, that's what he says. Because the cross represents death. Right? If we're going to pick up our cross, it's the idea of putting to death the way we used to live, the things that used to matter, and making a choice instead to follow Christ. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So the things that are in the world that you want, that you have a desire for, that are ungodly, set those things aside. And he gives this long example. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such of these. And then he gives another list. Anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with his practices and have put on your new self, he says, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here's what Paul wants us to understand. There's this process in our life when we choose to follow Jesus. There's this point where we make this decision. Either I'm going to be committed to Him or I'm going to be committed to the world. But if you're going to be committed to Christ, the Bible very clearly says to us, we need to deny ourselves and we need to take up our cross and follow Him. Now let's think through this just for a minute. Let's think historically about this text of Scripture. For us, a cross is something we wear on a necklace. For us, a cross is a picture we put in our home or in our office. For us, a cross is a, is a symbol of Jesus. And all those things are good. There's nothing wrong with those things. But if we were to back up in history about 2,000 years to the early century, the first century believers, to those people, a cross meant death. In fact, they didn't want to wear it around their neck. They didn't want to put a picture of it on their wall. They didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to think about it because for them the cross meant absolute death. It was punishment and torture and death. And it was reserved for the worst of the worst of the worst. And so for the early century Christian, the idea of taking up his cross would have been a brutal thing to consider. An incredibly difficult thing to do. It wasn't easy, it wasn't simple, it wasn't something people really thought a lot about. In fact, they tried to take it away from their thoughts. But Jesus says to them, listen, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to make this choice to live your life for me, you've got to realize, you've got to put to death all these other things that you thought mattered. You've got to put to death all these things that keep you from me. And you've got to be willing to follow me in all things. Now let's continue through this process because here's what some people are thinking. Okay, so I, I get this. All right, so, so Jesus is saying to all these, but there's these thousands of people. Jesus is saying, you've got to make this choice now, right? You can either choose to keep doing what you're doing or you can follow me. But if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you something. It's going to, it's going to mean something in your life. I can just already see the, the, the wheels turning in your brain and the thoughts will come to some of you thinking, well, I'm just not sure if I can do that. I'm not sure what that's going to look like. Well, look at what he says in verse 35. He helps us better understand. So take up your cross, follow me, put to death all the things of the world, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now here's truth number two. When we choose Christ, we choose life. 
When we choose Christ, we choose life. Now, graduates, I want you to hear me say this. You've probably heard people say this a hundred times in your life. Your parents may have told you, grandparents, I want you to understand what I'm about to say to you. And I'm a little bit older than you. I feel like I'm not as old as, you know, you, know how you feel like you're younger than you really are, right? I still feel like I'm in my 20s. Like, I should be graduating. I know I'm a little bit older. I probably seem really old to you guys. There are people that are older than me, so I'm going to give you a little bit of life experience here. This is from my personal experience, and many others could echo this. There's no greater joy in this world than following Christ, period. None. Now, we get lied to by the world and by other people. We make bad choices because we think sometimes all these things will bring us joy. Truth is, there's no joy outside of Christ. And so as you're making choices in the coming years... Is you're trying to decide what you're going to do, is you're filtering through this matrix of is this going to please the Lord, is it going to bring Him glory, you need to understand the only true joy you're ever going to find is following Christ. So when we choose to give up the things of this world, the Bible tells us that instead of giving up our lives, we will save it. Now I read this passage of Scripture, verse 35, and if you're like me, my mind and my heart gravitates to the word lose. That's just kind of what I think about. I see this word, whoever wants to lose his life, but whoever loses his life will say, right? And I gravitate to that word because I don't like to lose. Do you? Anybody in here just like to be a loser? I mean, is there anybody that... Most people don't want to be called a loser, do they? We don't want to lose a game. We don't, we don't even want to lose our keys, right? There's something bad about losing your... We don't want to lose anything, So Christ gives us this kind of almost a confusing statement. If you want to save your life, then lose it, okay? But whoever loses for me will save it. See, here's what Paul's, excuse me, here's what Mark's basically saying. This is Paul echoes, and here's what Christ wants us to understand. When you actually lose the things of the world that you think bring you joy, you're actually going to save yourself. You're actually going to experience great joy in those moments. David Platt, who's written numerous books, but he wrote the book Radical, still one of my favorites. If you hadn't read it, you ought to read it. He, he asked this very profound question. Here's what he says. It challenges me. Will we, will we risk everything? <laughs> our comfort, our possessions, our safety, our security, our very lives to make the gospel known among the unreached people. Such rising up and such risk-taking are unavoidable urgent results of a life that is radically abandoned to Jesus. Now I just wonder how many of us wake up every morning with the thought, the first thing in our mind is this, Lord, how can I be radically abandoned to you this day? How can I bring you glory in every decision that I make? How can I bring you honor in the way that I live my life, the way I speak to people? How can I bring you honor, Lord, in this classroom that I'm in? How can I live for you on this university, this college campus? How can I live for you at this new job? Are we interested on any level in being radically abandoned to Christ? See, Jesus says you've you got to make a choice. Either choose the world or choose me. But if you choose me, you're going to choose life. And you're going to receive joy and you're going to receive hope. Now I want you to do something for me. Everybody when you came in this morning should have received this. Did everybody get one of these? Anybody not get one of these? A few of you? Okay, we have a bunch still in the back. You can go get one. Now I'm going to ask you to get it out, but don't read it yet, okay? Because you're going to read it for the next five minutes. Don't read it yet. Just get it out. 
skim it, look back up at me, okay? You can read silently as I read aloud, right? They still say that on the test? We still say it like that? In a minute, but not yet. Anytime I go overseas in the mission work that we do and I hear back from our teams that go, I'm just reminded of the incredible job our missionaries are doing. I mean, incredible. And so when I, when I begin to read this passage of Scripture, and we've been thinking about this idea for a few weeks, it reminds me of these people, these people that have made this choice. I mean, th- these people, you need to understand on this sheet, we'll get there in just a second, have, have, most of them have moved out of the comforts of the United States of America, where we live right now, to some other part of the world, simply because they were willing to give everything for Jesus. That's why they did it. And so I'm always amazed by their level of sacrifice. I'm always amazed by their level of sacrifice, but I'm also amazed by the challenge that they face and how very difficult it is for these people. And so we've kind of done something. We're going to challenge you guys to do something over the next few months. Notice it's not called Suggestion 365. (laughs) It's a challenge. I want you to do it, okay? That's you. That's you. Not the guy next to you. Him too, but it's also you. Challenge 365. Here's what we've done. Now you can look at your sheets with me. Pull these back out, right? We actually have, we have partnerships all over the world. These are seven of our kind of strategic partners located in different places. I'm not going to read them to you, but we've got the two over here. In the middle, there are actually three different families. Jonathan and Rebecca, John, Kyle, and Kathy. We didn't give any last names. They're our South Asian missionaries. And let me just say this. We're not joking about this. This is for their security. Okay, people in that part of the world have been arrested for their faith. Believers have been arrested. Americans have been escorted out of the country because of their faith. This is very real. So we don't public. This is not going to be online. We don't publicize any any specific information about them. But we've given you their first names: Blue and Darby, Wes and Laurie. There are seven families on this little sheet. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. You can look at the challenge. I want you to write two encouragement cards for each missionary family that we partner with. That's 14 cards, right? Seven families, two cards. I want every person to write 14 cards. If every person will do this, we'll have enough for these missionaries to have a card to open every day of the year. Every day. That's why we're calling it Challenge 365, right? We want them to have a card to open every single day of the year. Why? Because we want them to know that their choice to follow Christ, their choice to live for Him, their choice to move overseas has not gone unnoticed. We want them to know that we're praying for them, that we support them, that we are going to continue to partner with them. And so here's what the card can be. It can be real simple. Hey, we love you. We're praying for you. God bless you. Here's a verse that will maybe give you some encouragement today. You sign it. You put it in the envelope. You write the missionary's name on it. And then out here in our missional area, as you see it today, as you walk by, you'll see kind of this display with these same pictures. There's a big basket. I want that basket to be filled up and overflowing. Now, you've got to the middle of August, Okay you got plenty of time, but I want you, I'm going to encourage you and challenge you to write two cards to these people. Two cards per family so they can know that we support them, they can know that we love them and that we're here for them. Okay, you can fold those things up, put them away. I wanted to remind you of that. But if you think about all that they've done and all that they've given, I want you to write a little card and let them know that you care about them. Now, we've got to be willing as followers of Jesus Christ to choose Christ, to set aside the things of the world, We've got to be willing to take up our cross and follow Him regardless of the cross. But what we need to understand, when we choose Christ, we choose life. Now, let's continue. We need to kind of wind this thing down this morning. Verse 34. 
Christ makes this interesting comparison. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? And by the way, now graduates, you probably understand this. Adults, you understand this. There are people that have tried to gain the whole world. And they don't care anything about their soul. And so Christ poses this question. What good is it for a man if he's going to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So the third thing we see, not only should we make this choice to follow Christ and serve him completely, not only should we understand that when we choose Christ, we're choosing life, we're choosing hope, we're choosing joy, but this is truth number three. Our choice to follow Christ is worth losing the things of this world. Our choice to follow Christ is worth losing the things of this world. Now make no mistake, I don't, I don't want to sugarcoat any of this. Students, you're about to go to college. You're about to go into the uh, workforce, whatever that looks like for you, however the Lord's leading you. And you understand probably better than some of us that are a little bit older. When you make a choice to follow Christ in all things, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. Maybe it's going to cost you some friends. Maybe you've kind of drawn this line in this sand. You say, you know, I'm, I'm kind of tired of playing this game. I've been playing it now for 18 years. Maybe some of you are saying, I've been playing it for 50 years. I've been playing this game where I've kind of pretended. I've kind of acted like I'm going to do these things, like I'm really following Christ. But really in my heart, I don't really care. I'm just kind of putting on the show. But I've kind of drawn this line in the sand. And from this moment forward, I'm going to radically give myself to Christ. When you do that, you need to be aware, there are people back here not going to like that. Their friends are going to talk behind your back. There are people that are going to make fun of you. There are, there are people that are not going to think you're as cool as you used to be. You're not going to be as popular as you once were. Maybe you're not going to be invited to some of the same sorts of events that you were invited to before. We, we need to understand, we, we, we can't candy coat this. When we make a choice to follow Christ, it's going to cost us something. But here's the truth we have to understand, this foundation of all this. It's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. Paul says in Philippians 3, 7 and 8 as he looks back over his life and he sees all that he's had and all that he's done and all that he's accomplished. And by the way, before Paul decided to follow Christ, he was a different man. A very wealthy, very powerful individual. And so Paul has this very interesting perspective on life. He looks back at the life he once led and he can now compare it to the hope and the joy that he's found in Christ. And I want you to listen to what he says in Philippians 3. Beginning in verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, right? He's looking back in the past. I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Doesn't matter to me. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, my Lord. Now listen to how he phrases this. For whom I have lost all things. See that? Paul says, I used to have this life and it was good. And it was profitable and I was powerful and I had money and I was looked upon as a famous person. I had all this stuff. None of that matters anymore. He says, for the sake of Christ, I've lost it all. Now just think with me just for a second. 
Is it possible that Paul could look back upon the riches and the fame and the wealth of his life with nostalgia? Lord, I used to have all this and, you know, it was pretty good. I really like that. In fact, I'm not sure, Lord. I mean, I'm kind of living for you now, but I'm not, I may want to go back. I just wonder what Paul's perspective is. Well, Paul gives us perspective in the next sentence. Listen to what he says. Thinking of all he used to have, he says, I consider them rubbish, garbage, trash, that I may gain Christ. You know, far too many of us have tried to gain the world. And we are losing our soul. Far too many of us see the power and the glory and the riches of the world and we gravitate more and more and more to that side. We're not radically obedient to Christ. We barely even think about Christ. But Jesus says, if, if, if you really want to follow me, if you're really serious about who you are, you've got to be willing to give all that up. Take up your cross and follow me. Some of you will know the name Kurt Cobain. Do you guys know the name Kurt Cobain? Yeah, good. Good, good, good. Kurt Cobain is in my wheelhouse because in the, in, the late, in the early 90s, that's when I was in school. And so Nirvana, right? You remember the group Nirvana? Incredibly popular. I did some research this week. Nirvana over the course of their span as a group, sold 112 million albums worldwide. And that's huge if you don't keep up with these sorts of things. Several number one hits. In fact, one of the record producers made this pretty astonishing comment. Nirvana has come to be regarded as one of the most influential and important rock bands of the modern era. In fact, the whole punk rock grunge movement, if you're into any of that or have seen it, that started with Nirvana. Kurt Cobain was kind of the guy. Now, if you followed them or knew anything about them, you know that they could not have been any more popular. They had it all, man. They had money. They had fame. They had incredible popularity. They literally traveled all over the world, and everywhere they went sold out tens of thousands of seats for people to see them. They were at the top of the world. And yet... With all the fame that they encountered, having everything that a person could possibly want, Kurt Cobain, the lead singer of Nirvana, took his own life in the midst of that popularity. You say, why would a man who had all that, he had everything, he couldn't have wanted more. Why did he give all those things up? Well, if you read the note that he left, you see all through it, he didn't have peace. He couldn't find hope, and he couldn't find joy. Now, the reason he couldn't find it is because he was looking into the things of the world. And the more he accumulated, the more he realized it was rubbish. The more he realized it wasn't important. And the more he realized, in the end, it never really mattered. See, guys, it takes some of us a lifetime to figure this out. I want you to hear this truth. Hope is found only in Christ. Now there are going to be people that will tell you otherwise. There are going to be people that are going to try to trick you. They're going to call you to live a life that they think is cool and popular. But if you walk away from the things of the Lord, there's only ruin. 
There's only destruction. There's only helplessness. So I want to challenge our graduates and I want to challenge our parents and, and all the people that are with us this morning. What if we lived our lives with a passion for Christ? What if we decided to cross over that line of absolute obedience? What if we followed Jesus no matter what it cost us? What if we allowed God to work even when it made us uncomfortable? I just wonder what Christ would accomplish through us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. We thank You, Father, that You have given us a clear path to take. It may not always be easy. It may not be what the world says, Lord, but we understand from life experience and from the truth of Your Word that hope is only found in You. Joy is only found in You. Father, I pray that You would impress upon the hearts of these graduates right now I pray you would just embed it deep within their hearts, deep within their minds, deep within their souls, Father, that no matter what they face, no matter where they go, they should always choose to follow you. They should always choose to seek you. And Father, I pray a lifetime from now, when they're grandparents, and they're praying for their grandchildren, Lord, as they graduate high school, I pray that these graduates right now would look back upon a life given in faithful service to you. Not because it was popular, not because it was easy, not because it was what everybody said they should do, but because you called them to it, and in it they found true joy. May you work through these kids, Lord. May you do great things through them for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the chance for the next few minutes. We're going to have a time at the end to pray for these graduates. So you don't have to do that now. We're going to give you that opportunity. But if you want to come and pray at the altar maybe for somebody that you need to stand in the gap for that's not living for Christ. Maybe you've been convicted of your own sins and you need to repent this morning before the Lord. Maybe you want to join this body of believers. This is your time now. You respond as we sing together. See you next week. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.